Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on Sunday, December the 3rd, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I guess, uh, welcome back. Not totally. The podcast took a week off for Thanksgiving, and I hope everybody had a great, long Thanksgiving weekend. I'm sure by now, a week later, you're back into the swing of things. And uh, the holidays, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever you celebrate, that's what you got to do these days. You can't just, you know, single things out. People get mad at you, for better or worse. Um, you know, hope you get into the swing of that and... Winter meetings are coming up, and, well, I hope you had a chance, if you if you listen live, great, to listen to me on WLIE with Rich Catino, our friend Rich Catino, and, um, and get a chance to hear that segment as I was a guest on their show. So it wasn't a total washout weekend in terms of the podcast. I had a chance to do a little, uh, a little hot stove talk on uh, terrestrial radio, which it's been a long time since I was in a terrestrial radio studio a real long time. And uh, it's always fun to do that. But, you know, the future is podcasting, they say, and, and that's where I'm at. And I come to you again on this uh, Sunday from my uh, humble abode, my humble studio here out on Long Island. And uh, I guess the hot stove, I had a chance earlier, you'll hear it in a couple of minutes, had a chance to catch up with Kevin Kernan of the New York Post, America's most beloved sports writer, as he, the moniker that uh, he's, taken over the last few years. I know that's tongue-in-cheek, and you know sometimes people don't really know how to take it, but Kevin is one of my favorites. It's been a long time since we had a chance to talk to him. It may have been the last time was in spring training. I always catch up with Kevin when he's doing that month or six-week tour as he goes from Port St. Lucie to Tampa. He, he covers a bunch of different teams and gets a chance to really get into both the Mets and the Yankees and lay the foundation for what his thoughts are coming into the season. And he did that this past spring, and I think that's the last time we talked to him. He's very busy during the season. And as you know, it's it's really difficult to get the beat writers or anybody that is in there covering the team day in and day, in and day out because it's, it's just the grind is there and it conflicts with the games and, and yada, yada. So chance to get Kevin on. I'm sure we'll get him on again before spring training. Usually I kick off pitchers and catchers with him, but – Wanted to catch up with him. He was covering the Jets earlier today, so you'll hear that in just a couple of minutes. The hot stove is pretty cold. 
it's starting to percolate. So I didn't have a chance. I did talk to Kevin about Shohai Otani, and uh, it'll be really interesting. He was actually kind of prophetic when you hear it about where he thought he would go. And just uh, about an hour or so ago, it appears the Yankees are out. It looks like uh, Otani prefers a West Coast team, smaller markets. There are meetings scheduled with the Mariners and the Giants. And uh, who else? Uh, we'll see. But uh, Kevin Kernan will give you his thoughts on Otani and where he thinks he'll go. And he gave a very interesting sleeper throughout the whole process. So stay tuned for that. And it seems like, even though this was the, the Kernan interview was recorded earlier today, about noon today, uh, you know, he, he actually <laughs> seemed to, you know, be forecasting a little bit of what we're reading now around 6 o'clock. So interesting stuff coming out of. The uh, the hot stove, which has been so cold. And Otani, I think, is holding things up. John Carlos Stanton news came out about 4 o'clock today where it looks like it's the Giants of the Cardinals and it's going to be up to Stanton, who seems really likes to go out to L.A. And it really ties into both. I mean, when you really think about it, here in New York, you hear the media, people like me who do these little media ventures, fans, people on Twitter, the fans that follow the, the team. And they're always like, Oh, well, you got to come to New York, the endorsements. It's the place to be. If you can't make it here, you, you know, the old can't make it here, you can't make it anywhere. And over the last decade to 15 years, if you really go back to all the major sports, the players gravitate toward different, more tropical, warmer climates. It's, you know, LeBron James with Miami, uh, you know, now with the West Coast with Stan. I mean, the West Coast, whether you want to admit it or not, the future is really there when it comes to quality of life. It's very expensive. It's high in demand. There's no snow. It's a, it's a more laid-back existence. It's you know obviously got some beautiful areas, whether you're going to be in L.A., San Francisco, maybe San Diego. I mean, there's some really, really nice areas. When you make the kind of money that these athletes are going to make, there's really no reason why you can't pick where you want to be. So what would you rather be? Would you rather be in New York with the congestion, with the lack of scenery, uh, the brutal winters in the Northeast? It's become worse and worse. The insatiable appetite of the fan base, the media that may not have the teeth that it once had 25 years ago, but still could stir the pot, depending on which team you're talking about here. Everybody talks about the Yankees. It's it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't with the Yankees. If you win, you should have won. If you didn't, uh, you're a failure. Yeah, you had the innocent climb this past year with the Yankees, but that's not going to go on forever. The Mets are always like the proverbial Sisyphus. You get to the mountaintop and it falls down and you go back up. I mean, I think the Mets, out of all the teams, is probably one of the hardest teams to be be a general manager or to be a star of because you're always fighting the Yankees. It always seems that no matter how much you do, even when you are successful, it's always going to pale in comparison. So not surprised to hear that Otani wants to go to a smaller market. It tells you a lot about him. It's probably the best that he didn't just chase the New York market for the sake of it. Because if he wants to be in a smaller market, then that's something that you know tells you a lot about him and, and his comfort level. He probably wouldn't do well here. I know that there was talk the Mets filled out the questionnaire. I just never got the sense the Mets were interested. And I don't necessarily think it's about money because that's not going to take a lot. I mean, yeah, they don't have the most bonus money to offer, but it seems like right now this guy wants to be out on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, part of me doesn't blame him.
Part of me doesn't blame him. And if he's going to meet with the Giants, depending on what they're going to do with Stanton, I don't know if one is mutually exclusive to the other. Uh, that's a huge Asian community out there. Um, I don't know, I don't know the, the, the demographics of the different types of, of cultures that are out there in San Francisco, but uh, you know he might feel more at home out in the Pacific Northwest. It's very possible. So Mariners, I know, are going to make a big uh, push for him. So, I mean, not much to talk about there. Uh, the big news around the Mets, which is what this show is about, is Dom Smith. Dom Smith made the rounds. He was at Madison Square Garden. He spoke to reporters. I know that Kevin Kernan, that's one of the reasons why I got him on this week, wrote a piece trying to basically defend him. And, um, you know, I'll get into that in a minute. There's also, uh, you know, it also made me think this week about David Wright and how that's all going down because you see the news with Eli Manning, Eli Manning getting benched, and we may be seeing the final days of Eli Manning as the Giants quarterback. Things are getting kind of ugly over there in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Bob McAdoo reportedly will get fired. You don't want to hear my football take. That's not why you tune in here. But it does tie in. And, uh, you know, I heard our friend over at the um, uh, the Knicks podcast, Tommy D, talk about, you know, how it never, you know, how stars on the back end, how they go out and how difficult it is. You know, Patrick Ewing, you have, um, you know, Posada when he went out, it was ugly. It didn't get ugly with Jeter, but at times it did because Cashman threatened to not, you know, dared him to leave when he was a free agent. I think that was after the 2011 season. Dared him to leave when Jeter was complaining about the offers that the Yankees were making. And the Yankees really, similar to, I think, the Boston Celtics at the end of the McHale Bird Parish run when they held on to players clearly in their decline, were hurt by Jeter at the end. They were hurt by Posada at the end. When they benched them, the only one they really took on and benched was Posada. Pettit was, was, was a very productive player even to the very last start. And Rivera was Rivera to the very last day. He never, ever had that end that makes you cringe. So the Yankees were pretty fortunate, and they handled the Jeter thing as best as they could, even though he probably wasn't the best shortstop, and, and being the Yankees shortstop wasn't the best position for him those final couple of seasons when he was uh, on the decline. So it made me think about that. But most importantly, Dom Smith. You know, what to make of Dom Smith? And, and basically in the column in the New York Post, Kevin Kernan talked about, hey, if the answer is Adam Lind, and I think Adam Lind is an actually interesting player for the Mets to sign. He's an on-base player. He, he has uh, power. He could play maybe a little outfield. Uh, I don't think, if, you know, the rumor is that they, they, they would like Jay Bruce on a three-year deal. Bruce wants five years. I have no problem with the Mets sticking to a three-year deal with Bruce. I don't, I don't necessarily know you want to go that deep with him uh, as much as you want to compete and win now. You want to maintain payroll flexibility. That's the situation the Mets are in. You can't bellyache about it. I'm not here to, to bellyache about that. So, you know, you bring in Lind. I don't necessarily think you're sending Dom Smith down, but I think if you don't sign a Carlos Santana, that's really right now the only name. And I heard the Mets are kind of circling the wagon on Eric Hosmer, but I don't see that market coming down to where the Mets get a value there. I just don't see it. And Boris is not going to let that happen. And as the more you peel the onion on Hosmer, and I really, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I really liked him as the, the sign of the offseason because of his leadership qualities. If it's going to take seven years and $170 million or $150 million, I'm not sure that's the kind of contract I'd go to pay for what Hosmer is and what he could bring. Not at that level. That's franchise-level money, and that's not the kind of player. To me, he's a very good next-year player, leader player, 
grind, you know, spit and vinegar player. You need those guys, but I don't know if they're $170 million worth on those guys, and Boris is going to want to get that contract. So you look at Dom Smith and you say to yourself, and, and we'll hear some comments he made on SNY with Gary Apple and Jim Duquette and the crew over there this week right after we take a break. But you look at Dom Smith, and I know that Kernan even brought up Aaron Judge and how he struggled. He struck out almost 50% of his at-bats when he came up in 2016, and then he had a huge year. And you say to yourself, can Dom Smith do the same thing? Can Dom Smith be uh, you know, the player that he was for the majority of the year in Vegas where he hit 330 and an OPS over 900? Um, he had 16 home runs, drove in 76 runs. He had a, a 386 on base percentage. Again, it's Vegas. It's the Pacific Coast League. You're facing a myriad of players and pitchers that are not ever going to be on a big league roster or a 40-man roster, much less. And Russ Langer, the play-by-play man for the Vegas 51s, I'll tell you, he gave me a very – go back to that uh, piece I did back in June. He gave a very lukewarm – Review of Smith. Now, obviously, that was June, and then when you compared it to what he said about Rosario, it was you, he was much more bullish on Rosario than Smith. He wasn't negative on Smith. He was let's see, and then Dominic Smith came up. He popped nine home runs. He hit less than two hundred. He struck out uh, almost fifty times. A third of his, uh, a little less than a third of his plate appearances. So not as bad as Judge, but a ton of strikeouts. I mean, here's a guy that if he played full time probably was going to strike out close to 200 times, didn't show a ton on defense. But, you know, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, that's a small sample size. It was, you know, 50 games. It was largely in a clubhouse that pretty much had quit, a manager that was lame duck, a really negative environment. And um, I'm not really sure he had the kind of leadership that, you know, you need as a young player coming in. It's not like he came in like Syndergaard and DeGrom, even though DeGrom and, and, and those guys came up before the Mets won and went to a pennant. But when guys like Syndergaard came up, you know, you had a, a team with guys like David Wright still playing, Kadire, things like that. Um, you know, Curtis Granderson, there was a good clubhouse. The team that went to the World Series in 2015, that was a good clubhouse. Uh, you know, it was a drama-free clubhouse. You had Cologne uh, basically being almost that mini pitching coach of the pitchers or that leader with the pitchers looked up to. You lost all that last year. You didn't have those guys. So is it time to give up on Dom Smith? Here's all I'm going to say. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Mets should go into next year with both Dom Smith and Rosario at their starting shortstop and first base. But I think that's hard to, to do and compete, and compete for a playoff spot. You can maybe do it if you upgrade it second, a significant upgrade at second, and a, and, and a significant upgrade in the outfield. If you get Bruce and Ian Kinsler... You know, maybe as long as you could bring in someone to spell him, maybe that's Wilmer Flores against lefty pitching. You bring in an Adam Lind to come in and, and maybe spot in case Smith flops. And then you, you plan on Lind being a backup. I don't know if he would, he would sign for that. I think he, he's a guy that may be able to get money and a multi-year deal to, to start somewhere. I mean, I'm not sure where, where he's at. And that's a name that's come up. But you, the, regardless, if you say to yourself, okay, give me a reason to be hopeful about Dom Smith. Well, He's, he's certainly putting in the time to lose weight. It looks like he lost another 10, 12 pounds. Now, we heard that in spring training, and he didn't look at, uh, that slim when he came up in September. When he was drafted in 2013, he had a fairly decent uh, year in the rookie league. He had 300. You know, he didn't show any powers first year, 18 years old. 
when he was 19 and he went to uh, A ball, he, he again hit only one home run. Um, you know, was known more for an on base guy and an OPS under 700. As soon as 2015, 20 years old, got to high A, started to find a little bit of power, and every year from 2015 till Vegas and AAA last year, he improved and he improved significantly. He improved his power. He improved his run production. Uh, his on base went up. And if you think about it, maybe now at 22 years old, he's experiencing the next phase. When he first got into the big uh, professional ball, he struggled and he improved every year. So now can he improve? And can he make enough of an improvement to be a plus player with the help of spelling him against tough lefties with the Flores or maybe a veteran first baseman of some sorts? We'll see. So it's not like you have trash here. This is not a guy that's uh, you know filler. And think about one thing. When Aaron Judge, who was pretty much he won Rookie of the Year, he came up and runner-up as MVP this year, this past year in his age 25 season. When he was 22 years old, he wasn't close to the Yankees roster. He, he spent that season in low A and high A. He had a good year, you know, hit 17 home runs, had an OPS of 905, but he was playing in low A, high A. Dom Smith is 22 and playing in New York in the big leagues. And everybody could say, well, when David Wright was 22, when Jose Reyes was 22, they were, they were and I said this during Rich Catino's show on WLIE last week. The big difference between those guys. Reyes had some growing pains, especially with injuries. Wright came, and he hit from the minute he stepped foot on a big league baseball field. He was really good at the end of that 04 season. In 05, he just took off 05, 06. They eased him into the middle of the order, but, uh, you know, they just he just was he was a natural. So, And that leads me to my last comment, which is it'll, it'll be interesting how the end here, because I think the end for David Wright's coming. You see getting somewhat controversial with Eli Manning, you saw that. I brought up the Yankees' uh, core players and how Derek Jeter really was a, a net negative, to use that term, uh, at the end of his career. I'm not sure David Wright could offer much at this point, and his salary is an albatross. It's better probably when you look at it from dollars and cents from a budget for him not to play because the Mets could recoup a lot of that from insurance and possibly reinvest that into other parts of the ball club. So, um, you know, interestingly enough, the guy that, you know, we're talking about, David Wright, and, and they certainly miss him in the clubhouse, it seems, because this clubhouse, I don't know if it has too many, uh, until they resign some of the players, they really don't have the kind of veteran leaders. I'm not sure I look at Cabrera and Cespedes and guys like that as veteran leaders. Uh, maybe within the Latino sect they can be that, but not, not overall. I don't see them as being th- those kind of leaders. Uh, you know, where do the Mets get that from? And, and when is the end for David Wright? Is it spring training? Does he try to make these various comebacks throughout the year? It sounds like the Mets are not really spending time thinking about it, but regardless, it, it could become something that if he does show he's healthy enough to play, even if he's halfway decent, you know, you're going to have to have a manager, Mickey Calloway, that quite simply I can't see David Wright unless he has some kind of miraculous medical recovery, being able to play even three to four times a week as an everyday player. I don't know how he can play third base. I don't think he can. I don't think you're going to be able to make the throws and, and the demands of the position, and, and then he could really be a net negative. Uh, right now, the Mets don't need more poor defensive players out there. They, you know, Regardless of what he can give you offensively, they need a tighter infield. They need to help these pitchers 
especially in, a, in an era of home runs and high offense, you can't be giving away outs because of poor defense, especially for a hitter that probably isn't going to make it up on the offensive side. So anyway, uh, enough with all this. Let's take a break. Uh, you'll hear some of Don Smith's comments on SNY. Get a little teaser there. And then we'll get uh, Kevin Kern in New York Post, sports writer for the New York Post. I had a chance to talk to him earlier today as he was uh, preparing to cover the Jets over at MetLife. The Jets played, took on the, the Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll hear his comments and talk about a wide variety of topics. Uh, the new managers in New York, Aaron Boone, obviously, uh, now named manager of the Yankees. Uh, get his thoughts on Carlos Beltran and his candidacy there, and near candidacy. Um, and you know, we'll get into Otani. And, and talk a little bit about Dom Smith. That's the main thing, Dom Smith, as he wrote a column about Dom Smith, basically saying, hey, if the answer is Adam Lynn, let's, let's, let's see more of Dom Smith before the Mets uh, fish and cut bait here. So let's take a quick break. You'll hear from Kevin Kernan right after this. I'm going to kick off this segment with, with a question that does put you on the hot seat a little bit here because the GM, Sandy Alderson, at the general manager's meetings recently said you did not earn the starting job in 2018 by what you did late in the season in 2017. How did you interpret those comments? Uh, you know, I'm not taking anything for granted. You know, I, I know I didn't perform like I know I'm capable of. Um, I know I didn't perform like I would like. And uh, I'm definitely going to work my butt off this spring training, go into uh, spring training in shape, go into spring training, I'm ready to win the job. And, and, and I'm going to, you know, take it all and um, just really work, work, and just work and work and work and work and work. Dom, it always struck me with young players. I mean, how do you not put too much pressure on yourself? I mean, you're down in Vegas, you're a first-round pick, you're playing well down there. Like, how do you balance it being a learning experience in the major leagues and knowing you have to kind of perform, too? To me, that's like the hardest thing, right? I think that I was very fortunate, you know, coming into the situation and be able to play, you know, over six weeks in the big leagues and, you know, and it not necessarily be as much pressure as like perform now because you're going to get sit down because the way the team was going it was more like you know just learn how to play up here so I think that really helped me a lot because it would be time that I'm putting pressure on myself and you know you're going to get frustrated you know that's just human nature you're going to get frustrated when you're doing bad so um, I think that the older guys in the clubhouse you know Cespedes and Reyes and you know Cabby they really took me under their wing and you know they talked to me a bunch and calmed me down and make sure that I was learning and, and paying attention to certain details so um, I think that uh, that when they really took me under the wing that's when I got to really focus and learn some stuff. We're back. Joining us, uh, America's most beloved sports writer at Where's Kernan, New York Post. Uh, he's at MetLife joining us for a couple of minutes, even though he's covering football. We'll talk some baseball, a lot of stuff going on in New York sports. Kevin, uh, pleasure to have you on uh, doing the football gig today, huh? Yeah, I can do it all. You know, that's why I'm America's most beloved sports writer. Well, you're walking into an interesting situation of a MetLife, even though you're covering the Jets, but you know a lot of talk about the Giants and firing Bob McAdoo. And, and we got a couple of new baseball managers here in New York. Aaron Boone, newly uh, anointed Yankees manager, Mickey Calloway. I uh, haven't had a chance to get your thoughts. I mean, what do you think about the new managers on the baseball scene here in New York? And obviously seeing McAdoo, who's highly regarded, going through some issues with the, the Giants. Uh, the press conference is just the beginning. Yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've been out here all week with the Giants uh, doing the Jets today, but Ben McAdoo 
Uh, he just is too much of a robot. He doesn't fit New York in any way. Didn't fit it from the beginning. I was never a big fan. Um, shows you how out of touch management is when they really hire a guy like that. I don't even blame McAdoo. He can't help himself. He is who he is. I mean, this guy didn't even have a suit that fit, you know, when he got the job. And um, then he changed the hairstyle. That was uh, that was kind of weird. And I think there's been a disconnect with the players. Um, but over on the baseball side, uh, you know, we we knew Terry Collins' his time was coming to an end with the Mets, and uh, and it's a double it's a double change for the Mets because uh, you, you get Mickey Callaway, who I know from really the you know I covered the ALCS two years ago, spent some time with Mickey besides regularly doing the season and stuff. You know he's he's the new wave, he's the AJ Hinch type, a little bit more personality maybe than uh, than some of these other guys, certainly more than McAdoo. And he's also a pitching coach, so that that helps in two ways for the Mets because you need somebody to kind of uh, guide these guys along better. Dan Worthen uh, is no longer here, so I think it's a you know it'll help the Mets in the long run simply because he knows pitching, and and that's what it's all about these days. But it still comes down to talent with the Mets. You know, if he had to deal with the bullpen, Terry Collins had to deal with last year. No matter how much he knows about pitching, it would have been a disaster. Uh, Sandy Olson did a really bad job of setting up the Mets last year from a bullpen standpoint. He may have learned his lesson. Uh, we'll see. And uh, I'm not ready to go there yet because these guys all, um, you know, I'm not going to play the game that kisses somebody's butt just to get information. And, um, uh, you know, I call it like it is. And right now the Mets are in some deep, they got some deep trouble. I think Callaway also should, you know, he should be able to help guys like Noah Syndergaard and, who, who really have gotten too big uh, too quickly without the resume, you know. And um, so we'll see where that goes. Um, over on the other side, I like Aaron Budenheimer a lot. I think uh, I know Aaron forever. Uh, I know his father. I know his, knew his grandfather. He used to come to all the Padres games back in the uh, late 80s when I covered the Padres. They lived out there, and he was a scout. So he was at games quite often. It's a baseball family. He's had his whole life to study for this job. Yes, he hasn't been a manager, but I think he will. He'll figure it. He'll figure it out quickly. And and he's he's in touch. I mean, I, I remember at the World Series because I ran right through the World Series this year, and I remember you know in the game six, I believe it was, uh, you know, I had to do a piece about the top catchers in the game, and I sat down with him for like ten minutes before a game, and he sees everybody. He has opinions on everybody. He's really a good quote. Um, he's a chill, kind of relaxed guy. He doesn't panic. He's got that Southern California chill. Uh, you know, he's wearing sneakers. Sometimes he doesn't tie them. He does great imitations of uh, every every hitter on the planet. Um, and I think he'll do very well there. I think, you know, you've had me on before. You know about what I thought about Girardi. I thought he was he was from the robot mode himself. And, and I think what happened in Cleveland in that series when – CC came out quickly, and Joe kind of panicked. I think the Yankees were done with panicking, and I think that's that that was the end of uh, of Girardi right then and there. And uh, it's going to make it more fascinating. It's going to make spring training more interesting on both ends, and you know it's going to be exciting to get it going. And we'll see what, how these guys do. Can they? Uh, the biggest advice I would have for them is don't change who they are. Be who they are, and um, and, and go from there. And that's all it takes these days. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I have with me Kevin Kern in New York Post. Uh, you know, Bill Madden had said that the, the deciding factor, and you hear this with every manager, whether the Yankees, the Mets, they're into analytics. They can communicate with the players. They can communicate with the media. It's analytics and communication now. Uh, I know everyone says the front office manages things, and I'm sure they do, but, I mean, you've been around a long time. Is, it, is, is this the right way to go about managing ball clubs now, the way that the Cashmans and the Aldersons of the world look at it? Or do you feel that it's too uh, fantasy baseball stratomatic when it comes down to it? No, it's too, it's too fantasy baseball, and, and it actually cost the Dodgers a World Series because um, they um, – <clears throat> excuse me. They, they really – you know this whole weird, the weirdness of the starting pitching. Uh, they they obviously pre-planned it out with the front office and analytically wise to to go with you, Darvish, as far as they could. Yet when Rich Hill was pitching well, he came out no matter what at a certain time. And um, uh, I have no problem with analytics if they use without being overused, but. When you build your game plan before a game and you don't see what's happening in front of you, you don't see what the game is telling you, and you just stick with the game, you pre with the plan, then you leave you Darvish in too long, as they did twice. You could see from you Darvish's first pitch, first batter, he had nothing either time, uh, and they were teeing off on him. And and actually, I saw him in the NLCS as well. But the Dodgers obviously had the analytical plan. And they went with their analytical plan, and I think it cost them a World Series. So, yeah, analytics are okay. You know what I'd rather see, Mike? I'd rather see I'd rather see Greg Bird be taught how to take a secondary lead, understand how to take a secondary lead, and on a three on a, on a three two pitch in a single left field score standing up, which he should have. Don't give me the analytics. Well, what you're doing there, these, Kevin? These teams, is- you're advocating coaching, which nobody really seems to think is – you're advocating coaching, which a lot of people take for granted or feel it's not important. You don't need a good coach here. It's like, you know, it's, anybody could do it. That's what you, you hear a lot of these uh, individuals say. Yeah, that's and the anybody problem. can you're follow the analytical coaching. plan. Yeah, and, and, that's, right. uh, and that's the problem. And that's why these coaches – and I'm not blaming Spada. I'm, not, I'm certainly not, not blaming the Mets their base coach uh, who had his, his troubles this year getting guys thrown out of home. Well, they're getting thrown out of home because they're taking, they're not taking, they're not taking, they're not listening either. They don't listen to what's been told to them. It's beyond coaching. It's, it's coaching plus listening. And they don't listen anymore. A lot of these players and in Greg Bird's situation, Greg's a great kid. He knows what he's doing most times, but he just got caught flat footed there. I think he was so, so stunned at the base that came there. He wasn't nearly as far off as he should have. So, you can talk analytics till you're blue in the face, and they all will. And, uh, you know, I understand it's a losing battle, but I know I'm right, and there's no doubt I'm right. And it shows its face every year in the postseason. And I just gave you one small example that cost the Yankees uh, not only probably, uh, you know, the ALCS, but I, I really believe the Yankees would have blown through the Dodgers. I think this Yankee team could have won a World Series. So, um that's where we are in the game today, and and we'll see what happens. But it's base running is to me is the new steroid. Good teams take advantage of it, and I know Aaron Boone thinks that way as well with base running. Um, and and um, we'll see what Mickey Callaway thinks. Um, it's, it's you know the bottom line. The Mets are just so different. I can't I can't really put the Mets and the Yankees in the same perspective because 
the Yankees have done a great job of finding in Cashman and his people, Damon Oppenheimer and international scouting. And, you know, they've done a great job finding and developing talent. I just saw one thing at you to put it in kind of perspective. And, uh, you know, Sandy Wilson may call this cherry picking, but it's not. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's called facts. And uh, Dom Smith was taken, I believe, in 11th in the draft. 21 picks later, yes. the Yankees took a gamble on Aaron Judge. And they also would have done it on a 20th pick. They had the 20th and 21st pick after that. After after the Smith pick, and look at the difference. I mean, Dom Smith, I still think will be okay as a player, but Aaron Judge gives you such an upside, and you got to look for upsides now, uh, especially and that's part of the draft. I mean, sometimes it blows up in your face, but uh, I, I talked to the area scout in Cape Cod, and this is why the Yankees drafted Aaron Judge, and it gets back to whole old school scouting in some way. He 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 grew up uh, Matt Hyde. He play, you know, he, he knows that league so well, and he remembers being at an all-star game, actually a, a home run hitting veterans, like a, like a, a contest in, in the early 90s, I think it was, he told me, and uh, George Foster was like playing for one of those, um, you know, senior league teams or something was going on, and he was actually in this home run hitting contest, and, home, and Foster hit this mammoth, mammoth shot that went into a over uh, way over the fence into a lake uh, somewhere, and I don't know exactly which field it was. And lo and behold, he's watching batting practice one day, and who hits the same field? Judge hits a similar shot, and he he he, he checks his you know his brain. Uh, he goes through his brain files, and says, you know, I only saw one other guy do that, George Foster. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. now the Yankees are a lot higher about Aaron Judge because of that one batting practice swing that had nothing to do with analytics had nothing to do with Trackman, and it had something to do with knowing the game and, and making a better draft pick. And as a result, uh, they wind up with Judge, and Judge still has adjustments to make. Don't get me wrong. He's not out of the woods yet. But, uh, you know, there's a lot there to work with, and I think he'll own. And I also believe, too, and this is huge, anytime you play in a postseason, it's like an extra two or three seasons, especially for a young player. So I think Judge and Bird and all those guys are just going to really uh, be so much more advanced because of that that uh, play that they had uh, with the Yankees. Agree, and you, you segued well. Dom Smith, a lot of negativity about Dom Smith. I know the Mets put him out there doing the charity work at the Garden. You wrote an article about him. Look, if the Mets are intending, and they claim to be uh, uh, intending to compete next year, I'm not sure you could go with Rosario and Smith starting. But you point out, is Adam Lind an upgrade? He's not a bad player. Is that a total upgrade? Carlos Santana's name is out there. You know, certainly an upgrade. Uh, you were you not that you compared, but you just brought up uh, Aaron Judge and the struggles he had. His first cup of coffee, just like Dom Smith, the weight is something that may be controllable. I mean, the weight could be an issue that you can't control. There's a a physical thing, but you could for the most part control conditioning. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be love about Dom Smith and the Mets over that small September sample size. You seem to be taking a different approach, which is which is interesting because you're one of the few that are. Uh, everyone seems to be really down on him. Yeah, and there's reason to be down on him. I'm not, I'm not giving him a pass. I mean, when you get to the major, and I saw Dom in spring training. He did a good job, you know, uh, getting in shape. He went through that whole program with bars, but then it all went to heck uh, during the season. And I think that's why Sandy lost patience with him. And I totally get it. I get it from Sandy's perspective. Um, um, uh, you know, but at the same time, now there's no excuses. Everything's out there. Sandy obviously is trying to light a fire under him as well. So what you do now is uh, you, 
if the kid has another setback weight-wise, then you know you got a real issue. But I'm going back to my original premise here, uh, Mike, and how was this not discovered during the scouting area of this uh, kid, you know, when he was in high school and stuff like that? Uh, uh, you know, uh, you just don't, you know, unless you're a sports writer, you just don't turn around and put on 50 pounds. And, uh, you know, he, it, it, there's obviously something going on there in his, um, in, in his makeup that should have been uh, discovered before the Mets made him the 11th pick. I believe it was the 11th pick of that draft. But, uh, again, maybe, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll get it. I'm, certainly I know the Mets have a tremendous chef, and they have a tremendous, um, you know, they, you can eat as healthy as you want with that team. Um, it's up to you. And, uh, you know, you got to curb everything. You got to curb your appetite. You got to make sure you're getting your rest. You got to make sure you're doing the extra work. Because when you get an opportunity like this, a golden opportunity in the major leagues, interestingly enough, uh, the the Phillies went through some issues with J.P. Crawford, who was who was very close to Dom, their best friends. And they both came out of the L.A. area. So he had some maturation issues as well. So I think you're just looking at uh, a player who needs to just mature a little bit, and it's disguised as weight. But Dom's a nice kid, you know. Um, I'm a big fan of his swing. I actually think he's a good hitter, and I think given time he'd be fine. But he needs to take care of himself. And uh, this is uh, – I wouldn't say this is his last chance, but probably his last chance with Sandy Alderson, I'll say that. And let's not forget, too, Sandy's 70 years old. He's looking for stuff right now. That's why he made the changes he made. He's not into any kind of rebuilding or anything, even though they may be forced into that by management to some extent. But he's looking to maximize whatever he's got right now because, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and we saw it again this year in the playoffs. You get to the playoffs, anybody can win. I mean, it, 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 I predicted this many years ago. Basically, the reason analytics took over is so these guys could communicate with themselves and also communicate with nerdy writers. And basically, they've watered down the, the game so much. Uh, anybody can win any year, and that's what we're seeing year after year after year. It's not like the NFL where you got to tear up your team because you got to pay guys. In baseball, you could easily, easily uh, put together a dynasty if you know what you're doing. And that's, that's just going to be very interesting about the Yankees. I think they have dynasty – uh, you know, they have a dynasty opportunity here, and we'll see where they go with it. You bring up scouting, so there's this big Japanese uh, hitter, pitcher, Shohai Otani. I think I said his name correctly. Uh, what are your thoughts about the hype? You know, I was look. I, I look, I can only look at numbers. I didn't see the guy play. You hear nothing but good things. It's a bit of a strange tour. He's got the questionnaire. You know, the Mariners are going all in for him. Everyone thinks he's going to the Yankees. Even the Mets are popping in on this. He's taking less money, which is rare. It's really the Japanese team that's going to benefit most financially. Uh, two-way player, there's actually a two-way player from an understanding of Rays organization. So this might be the new thing when you talk about analytics, Kevin. Can the player hit and pitch almost like Ironman football back in the day? What are your thoughts on all this? Because it seems to be clogging up the offseason where Otani is going to wind up going. No one, Nothing's happening here. No, you hit right in the head. It is clogging up the offseason. It always happens. The biggest fish clogs it all up, wait till Harker comes out, you know, but um, um, I I can't even um, fathom a guess of what kind of player he's been. I don't like to guess on players until I've seen him. Like when I first saw Ichiro out in Peoria, um, you know, spring training, I knew he was a gifted superstar player when I saw him. 
and I mean live because you see some things live. But Altani, I don't want to guess. Obviously, he's got from what everybody says, he has unbelievable talent. Play much last year. He was hurt as a kid, pretty much. So everybody's talking about playing two way. Let's let's see if he can play one way and stay healthy. Uh, that's my question with a lot of Japanese players, especially the pitchers. It's a whole new game, you know. And now what we're going to see here is we're going to see. A six-man rotation, my guess, and we're going to see somebody really going over the top to make sure he gets those at-bats. Now, I know the Yankees say they will do that, and, you know, they probably have a way of doing that. They'll, they'll come up with a good plan. Uh, my question with Otani is, and and this is something I don't know unless I spoke to him, but does he want to be the star, the Japanese star on the team, or is he willing to be one of the players on the team? If that's the case, then you know, the Yankees would be the perfect fit. But if he wants to be, quote-unquote, the Japanese star on the team, um, um, you, you know, then um, uh, I don't know if he'd want to go with Tanaka being here already. You know, I remember, uh, remember about 10, I think it was 10 years ago, the, uh, the Red Sox had the, uh, 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 the great pitcher come from Japan, and everybody thought it was just going to be a whole new world for him. Dice Until he found the ice. Yep, Dice yeah, Dice K. Dice K, until he found the ice cream machine. He was eating ice cream all the time with the Red Sox. That's what happened with Dice K. Right. And he ballooned and, uh, you know, so you never know when you bring these guys in. Certainly this guy sounds a little different the way he wants to attack uh, right now, which I, I like. I like that. Uh, I like the fact he's coming in now and not waiting a few years, even though it's a financially different story. But it seems like he has his priorities right. So I, I can't say what kind of player he'll be until I see him. But um, I have a sneaky suspicion the Yankees will not get him because everybody's saying they're going to get him. But this guy's looking at all 30 other teams. I mean, um, you know, and, and again, the new wave with baseball is having good young players. So so that, to me, is appealing for the Yankees. But it also, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there, but what about San Diego? They have some young talent coming down the road. And I know it's so hard for San Diego to ever win, and I'm not a big fan of their GM, some of maneuvers he pulled, but just say that this guy wants to play in San Diego where they can definitely promise him because, you know, with what they got going, you you know, you're in a rotation and you're in right field. I mean, they they can promise him that. It's They don't have the DH there, obviously, in the National League, but they can promise him something like that uh, or whatever position he wants to play. And uh, I could see him where he beat a big fish. And Seattle is my sneaky pick right now, only because uh, DePoto, the GM, you know, he's a very anxious guy. He wants to change it quickly, and um, it fits perfectly. There's a history there with Japanese players. They have an, they have openings where he can, he can, you know, they can find time for him, and for him and make him the superstar, and that would be an interesting pick for him to go uh, to Seattle. So my early pick says Seattle. My, my sleeper pick is uh, San Diego, and we'll see where he winds up. I don't think it will There's no way in my mind he'll ever wind up with the Mets. Yeah, I think everybody agrees with that. A couple of things before I let you run. Uh, first thing, you're seeing with Eli Manning, you know, an elite New York athlete, potentially, who the hell knows what's going to happen here with McAdoo, maybe not go out on the best of ways. We've seen it with Patrick Ewing. Um, you know, the reason I bring it up is that David Wright is an elite New York athlete that's gone through a lot. Uh, you know, the odds of him making it back are, are probably not good, even though he's put a lot of time and effort. I know he's got great character. Uh, if he can do something in play, you don't know what you're really going to get. I find it hard to believe he could be a productive defensive player. Uh, where do you, I mean, this is a tough spot. This is No one talks about it, but David Wright, if he is healthy and can play and wants to play, 
it's actually a very tough challenge for the Mets because he's probably not the best choice uh, with all the information medically that we have to be that guy to start every day or even clog up the position on any consistent basis. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because it ties into how it never really ends well for some of these athletes here, and, and, and that's going to be a big chore for Mickey Calloway on his first job in his first year. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think Jeff Van Gundy, who I you know I have my issues with Jeff on a lot of things, but he was very good about one comment he made. He said it never ends well in New York, and that's that's for sure. And uh, we see it all the time. I will say this about David Wright: you know he's had these start and stop comebacks so often now that people aren't even worried about him, aren't even thinking about him. So in some ways, Mickey Calloway, it's easier for Mickey Calloway because. Nobody's expecting anything from David. Nothing. Uh, I remember last year about about well, it was about 13 months ago. I, I went down to uh, I went down to his fundraiser. Had a great time with him, and he was so so optimistic. But at the same time, he still hadn't thrown yet. So now he's had the surgeries. The last he's had a couple surgeries since then. Maybe to throw better now. Uh, you can't count on David for anything. Anything you get from him is gravy. And and also. The great thing about David's situation, I will will say this, is if 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 he can play a little bit, then he's the perfect role player for the Mets. In other words, you know, play him a couple of days a week, uh, play him, you know, t- first pinch hitter, uh, that kind of stuff. They certainly missed him in the clubhouse. That clubhouse went to garbage last year in a lot of different ways, um, and um, and not having players. Like David Wright was the reason for that around where David could at least you know lead them in some way. So, so if they can get anything from David, and by that I mean the fact that he can not be healthy enough to be on a roster, um, I don't think he's going to force himself you know as a starter type. Uh, he's just going to be he, he's been down so long he'll take anything at this point. So I think it's actually it's not a bigger problem as people are making it out to be because there's no expectations there. Anything is gravy and it's really good gravy because if you get something from David Wright, you have that leadership ability, which you need in the clubhouse. And I think you need that more now than ever, Mike. I think we saw uh, – I know I got a little heat for this, but, again, I think I'm right. So I don't mind saying things when I think I'm right, and I know I'm right. Carlos Beltran ran the clubhouse for the Astros. He he was essentially the manager of the clubhouse. Now, A.J. Hinch did all the tough stuff with dealing with management and analytics and make, maybe involved in some decisions. But when George Springer strikes out four times, I think it was in the first World Series game, and is so down on himself he can't even function, it was Carlos Beltran who pulled him aside and said his got his head straight and said, "Hey, you know, I thought I'd be in the World Series every year. These opportunities only come along once in a blue moon. You got to start enjoying this kid. You're too good. Don't worry about it. Have fun. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the week. Have a blast. Be yourself. All of a sudden, George Springer's MVP." because of Carlos Beltran. So that's what you need out of your veteran players. That's what the smart teams do. And I do give the, um, I did give the Astros credit for, for, uh, you know, signing a Beltran and a McCann. It made a world of difference over adding a Beltran and McCann. And, and the Dodgers tried it a little bit with Chase Utley, which was a good move. And that's what David Wright would give you as a, as a Mets team right now. He would give you that X factor clubhouse leader, which every team needs. And by the end, Carlos wasn't playing at all hardly anyway. So that's what you need. But, again, he has to be healthy enough to play a little bit. I think the fact he's had the two surgeries, it's now or never time. You know, So if, if, if there's any more setbacks, we would have the announcement, uh, you know, David's going to have a, a press conference at 3 o'clock on Tuesday, blah, blah, blah. 
and uh, you know, and he and he will say goodbye. And it won't be long. You know, we saw it already with the Yankees where they maneuvered. Right. It won't be long before David Wright's managing a team. Won't be long. Well, you, you actually answered. You actually answered the last question, which is, I was like, are you surprised how much play Carlos Beltran got uh, as manager of the Yankees? Because I think back, it was. It seems like yesterday where Julio Franco was pushing him out of the dugout to take the curtain call when he had that slow start to the year and was was angry at the fans and he was coming off a bad season and the questions were can he handle New York and then he went on to have a big year in 06 and I mean a very underrated player in Mets history gets criticized for the Wainwright at bat which I mean I don't know what you're gonna oh. do with that curveball if you swung anyway but um, greatest curveball ever you, you think highly yeah, yeah you, you think highly of Beltron and it's an interesting comparison with Wright where Beltron uh, I guess you 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 took him very seriously as a candidate it sounds like based on your experience uh, with him go interview with the Yankees. Oh, absolutely. And actually, the, again, I, I know it's kind of a joke, America's most beloved uh, sports writer, because it was not a nickname I gave myself, another writer gave it to me, but there's a lot of truth to it. Because I, I, I'm a step ahead of most everybody almost every time, because I look at the common sense. So my first question to Carlos Beltran after Game 7, when I found him on the field after the awards ceremony was, well, after, you know, I have congratulations and all that stuff. But I said, are you going to, do you want to manage right now? And he told me, he said, not right now, Kevin. I, uh, I need to, I need to, I need to spend some time with the family first, but it's definitely on my bucket list. It gave me the indication as two or three years away, maybe four. And, and then he, then all of a sudden, I think, and I think this was very smart on Catherine. And again, this is a guess, but I think it's an educated guess. I think Catherine had so many candidates and drew the process out because all along he wanted Beltran to be involved in the process. He gave him time to decompose a little bit, then contacted him, and then all of a sudden Carlos is coming in for an interview. And I'm sure it was presented in such a way like, you know, I, I probably pretty much have my candidate, but at the very least, come in for the interview. You'll learn some things. We'll learn some things about you. It can't hurt. You're going to be a manager anyway. And I think Carlos said, yeah, let's do it. And um, and I think it was, a, it was a great move on all the part. And, uh, you know, he's a – Carlos Beltran is – you can sit and talk with him forever about anything. You know, he's just such a, and he's so he's got so much Puerto Rico pride as well. Done a lot for the, uh, you know, uh, for the island and all the things they went through. You know, he's a guy that in the off season goes over to Roberto Clemente's widow's home for dinner and spends time with the family and just to learn about uh, Clemente and uh, the great Clemente. And and so he does that in all avenues of his life. He's going to be super successful. He'll be a great manager. And um, I think I think the good thing out of all this is we're going to start seeing more players who know what they're talking about becoming managers. And in the long run, this may spur the analytical age more into an age of coaching and baseball because Aaron Boone knows what needs to be done on the baseball field. Carlos Beltran knows. David Wright knows. And these guys uh, can, can, can get that message across. And I think uh, – I think – there will be maybe a renaissance, even though the managers, because it's just changed, there may be a renaissance in, in actually what managing means now, nowadays. Will you vote for Carlos Beltran for the Hall of Fame when it comes up? I know it's a oh, long absolutely. time away. but No, absolutely. He, 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 I talked to him about it. Uh, not not like, uh, hey, I'm going to vote for you, but I talked to him about, like, you know, what do you think about your Hall of Fame chances? And, and I think, he, you know, I think a player that has spanned an era, you know, he spanned the steroid era. Um, he's still good before and after the steroid era doing. Um, he's done a lot. And also he's done a lot in clubhouses. This is the kind of guy you want in the Hall of Fame. 
you know, I know there's a lot of Hall of Fame garbage. It, it's become more of a pain in the neck than anything else now going to the Hall of Fame. Because, as you know, Mike, from having this show, I don't care about anything. You know, I, I, I care about the truth. I care about what I, you know, when I work and I work hard. But I don't put that already out on Twitter and we'll get it out again. You know, I don't care what you think about my Hall of Fame vote. So, so don't bother me, all right? Uh, say what you want. It's my vote. You go cover baseball for 10 years. You get on planes. You do everything you got to do. And I've covered it forever, more than 10 years. Then you can get yourself a Hall of Fame vote. Uh, and if you're a quasi guy that's, uh, you know, think you know more than me, great. You know what? Go work for a newspaper. Go work for an outlet. Get in the BBWAA. Get your Hall of Fame vote. Because I don't care about your vote either. So that's my vote. That's the end of the line, and I will still vote the way I will. And, and you know, it's going to be interesting this year because uh, one last quick story, Alex, and we'll, we'll go from here. But it's funny. I walk in the Yankees clubhouse in spring training, and the first thing Reggie, Reggie Jackson says to me is, what the hell? You voted for Clemens and you voted for Bonds? Because I changed last year. I switched over. Once once uh, Seeley right. got into the Hall of Fame, I said, why am I standing on the wall? Why am I, why am I the uh, last guy defending the wall? And um, – you know, uh, you know, baseball doesn't care. All these baseball guys that allowed this uh, steroids to happen are in the Hall of Fame. Tory, you sure. know, uh, all the managers, uh, Bud, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with them being in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not fighting their fight anymore. Uh, and so that's what I told Reggie. And, and you know, now we're seeing it now. All of a sudden, now Joe Morgan comes out the letter because you know Reggie didn't go to the Hall of Fame last year either. It's interesting. So these these. Hall of Famers may be upset by who's coming into the Hall of Fame, but, you know, it's not the writer's fault. It's who allowed this to happen. And I certainly didn't have the power to, uh, uh, as a writer, to force somebody to uh, pee into a cup, you know, and do all that back then. That was baseball. Baseball should have done that. Baseball created their mess, let them live with it. And the one thing it does make harder, to be quite frank, though, is that you're limited to your 10 guys. I'm sure I'll use all 10 spots again this year once I decide who I'm going to vote for. But, you know, if, if guys like, uh, you know, I, I know some people get upset about Schilling getting votes, but, yeah, Schilling was a great pitcher, you know, and uh, and he did it in a steroid year. Mike Messina, another guy, you know. Uh, uh, there's a million guys I can mention. There's some old, you know, Tommy John in my book should be, you know, one of these guys should be in the Hall of Fame or, or Jim Cott, you know. Uh, there's a lot of guys who should be in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame in some ways is, has become such a political football that it's no fun anymore, and I'm going to make my my ballot fun, and if you don't like it, too bad. Well, that's the point of this. is fun. Kevin, you always bring the heat. I know you got to go cover a game. Thank you so much. You were very generous with your time. Let's do it again, and if I don't talk to you, have a, have a good holiday season, my friend, all right? Okay, Mike, take care, and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there, and happy holidays. That's uh, Kevin Kernan, New York Post, at Where's Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. He brought the heat. We knew he would. Every time he does, every, I said to you in the open, when we get Kevin on, we always get a nugget. You never could plan the interview because you get a couple of topics, you let him run, and that's the point. You know, It's not about me at that point. I'm, I'm bringing Kevin on to get his perspective. So anyway, let me take a quick break. I uh, had a couple of things come up that came to my mind uh, uh, that Kevin talked about that we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with, and then I'll get you the holiday schedule. The winter meeting is kind of where my mind is at with the show because uh, we're getting to that point where hopefully things start moving. And we could talk more about what is happening than what may happen. It's been a very slow hot stove. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time with our partners at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much 
whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts, and uh, I want to thank Kevin Curran for coming on. Really, really good stuff. I always enjoy Kevin and his take, and it gave me something to think about with David Wright. I mean, using you know the Beltron analogy and how Carlos was in the clubhouse. Now, Beltron was in the American League, was able to DH, was able to still provide, even though it was below league average, some offense, but I think at the end, like Kevin said, he wasn't really a big part of the uh, the team in terms of the offense. Can David Wright do that? Maybe. Uh, the problem you're going to have, especially if the Mets have an eight-man bullpen, you have eight-man bullpen, you have five starters, that's 13 players. You've got 12 position player slots available on the roster. Eight are going to go to starters. You have four guys on the bench. I guess you could keep someone like Wright, who essentially would be a pinch hitter. I mean, he's going to have to get a first base. I just can't see him being able to play third base. With the shifts and all the stuff now, I just can't see it. I just can't see it. So, And he gave you some interesting stuff about the Mets and scouting and development, and that is a big thing. I mean, you got Mickey Calloway. You've got some new coaches coming in. I think this team has been, and I've said this, and I'm glad that Kevin brought it up, so poorly coached over the course of the last three years. Even the year they went to the World Series. It was just so poorly coached. Bad pitching coach, bad manager. Uh, you got to wonder what the hell Dick Scott was doing on this roster. Uh, I think the only one that had any kind of impact was Kevin Long, and he's gone now. So the Mets have a fresh start, a fresh staff. There's a lot to work with here. Uh, I know that there's so much negativity, and and right now, until you see Stanton and Otani pretty much go where they're supposed to go, it's a bottleneck here. It's a bottleneck where everyone else is kind of waiting to see what will happen, because now that Jay Bruce is out there asking for five years, we'll see what the market's going to be. The Giants don't get Stan. The Giants don't get Otani. Maybe they're going to be in the market for a Jay Bruce, and maybe that five-year deal becomes more of a realistic uh, situation. So right now, I think it's a cold hot stove, but it's starting to warm up. As uh, far as the show, we have the winter meetings coming up in, in about a week. So what I'll do is this: I'll wind up probably doing a preview show next weekend. So stay tuned for that. Trying to figure out how early on Sunday, probably. Maybe early or late on Sunday. I'm not sure yet. I have to think about it and you know, keep going to MetsmerizedOnline.com. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Go to the iTunes and see when the next you – know, make sure you have it refreshed so that the show just comes up. Easy enough. I will definitely do a recap show, if not that Thursday night, then uh, over the weekend. I have to see 
what the recap. Now, part of the recap show will definitely be taking your calls on the Talking Mets line, which the last time we did that, I thought it went really, really well. So maybe what we'll do is do your calls next Sunday, part of that, about what you want to see at the winter meetings. We'll do that going in and that going out. And then basically we'll see what the news between that day, because after the winter meetings, the next two weekends fall in. That's, you know, that weekend will be the next weekend will be the 10th. So that'll be the winter meetings the 17th. The next two weekends after that are Christmas and then New Year's Eve. There's probably it's definitely not going to be any shows then. And the only time we would probably do something if there's a major signing or something along those lines. And then after the new year, we'll get into some Hall of Fame talk. So, and believe it or not, you do the two shows for the winter meetings. You do the Hall of Fame show. And then before you know it, you're counting down to pitchers and catchers. It's pretty amazing how quickly the offseason goes. And it's, it's dragged, especially the last couple of weeks when you talk about content, because nothing's happened. But I think the next three shows, I think, will we'll have some good things to discuss, some meat and potatoes. I think the, the, the direction that the Mets offseason is going to take will start to crystallize. And who knows? I mean, maybe this will be one of those offseasons where everybody kind of plays chess and we're going into Valentine's Day and there's still people out there who haven't been signed. We've seen that before. It wouldn't be the first time. I hope not because you like to kind of get into a finalized roster. But sometimes February or late January brings like these players that are still out there, and then before you know it, you got a lot of a lot of hot stove talk in what really is the the cold of the winter. But spring is around the corner. You start looking towards spring. It's hard to call it the hot stove when you get into Valentine's Day and you you smell the the flowers in spring right around the corner. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining us uh, today. I want to thank uh, Kevin Kernan for uh, spending some time with us. Of course, you can check out Kevin. On Twitter, at Where's Kernan. Check out his column in the New York Post. Of course, you can check me out all the time with our friends over at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care and uh, be heading into the winter meetings and talking about what's going on next week.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.